Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Is it on? Hello. Welcome, everyone, to this session of the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone. Um, and just, my name is uh, Suzanne Lennon, and I uh, will be your moderator for the session today. Um, just a few usual housekeeping things that we have to do before we get started. First of all, just to remind folks to turn off your cell phones or any other electronic devices. Um, as many of you know, the session is being uh, recorded. There is a basket on each table, and we would ask each of you to put $10 in to cover the cost of lunch. Um, and we need to delegate someone at the table to count it and to um, give it to SACPA at the end of the session. Um, SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization, um, and we rely on the contributions of our members um, uh, to continue the work that we do. So if you are interested in becoming a member of SACPA, if you aren't already, again, I would invite you to come and speak with us after the session is completed. Um, we'd like, I'd like to thank SACBUS partners, the University of Lethbridge, uh, for support and distribution of notices, um, Country Kitchen Catering, of course, which always offers us a great lunch, Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions, um, Sundays at 4.30, and the Lethbridge Media for covering uh, SACPA events. So as you know, uh, the format for today will be uh, half an hour of uh, our presenters, and then we have our lunch from 12.30 to 1, and then 1 to 1.30 is our Q&A period. So it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, actually my colleague at the university, uh, Dr. Tibe, Glenda Tibe Bonifacio, who is Associate Professor uh, in the Department of Women and Gender Studies. Um, let me just get her bio here. Her research focuses on gender migration and citizenship of Filipino women and the connections between gender, religion, and migration. She is editor of the uh, new book, Femin Feminism and Migration, Cross-Cultural Engagements, which has just been published. And she's also co-editor of a book entitled Gender, Religion, and Migration, Pathways of Integration. Um, and she's also the author of numerous scholarly articles. So I'd like to invite Dr. Bonifacio to come and speak with us. Can you still see me? <laughs> so thank you, Kutz, for removing that SACPA label, because otherwise I will be here. Thank you, Suzanne, for that introduction. And by way of context, my research focuses on Filipino living caregivers in Canada as a sample of temporary foreign workers. And before I proceed with my presentation, I'd like to thank SACPA for inviting me here to this wonderful audience. I think uh, looking at you, I'm already, already give me the shivers <laughs> of what I'm going to do. I, um, this is kind of a huge topic and an issue that I carry on with my research, but uh, the title actually speaks an argument that uh, the temporary foreign workers program in Canada possibly could lead to the road to illegality. So uh, I'll post this to you, and uh, probably you could actually deduce from the presentation what I would like. And hopefully, you will still enjoy our lunch 
after my swing on international labor migration in Canada. And uh, I would presume that you have actually come across or met a temporary foreign worker on your way here or out of here, maybe yesterday, if not today, maybe tomorrow, okay? I'll just check if this works. So who are temporary foreign workers? Temporary foreign workers are migrant workers sourced from outside Canada on the basis that local labor is insufficient to feel in demand. In other words, when Canadians and permanent residents are not available. Section 3, subsection 1 of the Immigration Refugee Act outlines one objective of Canada's immigration policy to, quote, to pursue the maximum economic benefit of immigration and to support the development of a strong and prosperous Canadian economy. According to Finance Canada in 2007, temporary labor migration is characterized as the principal tool to help employers meet immediate skill requirements when qualified Canadian workers cannot be found. The economic rationale and business model of immigration has led to the rise of TFWs, or temporary foreign workers, and in 2007 and 2008, Canada received more temporary foreign workers than permanent residents for the first time in its history. According to Victor Pichet, the chair of International Public Law of McGill University, Quote, Canada is a good example of a country presently transforming its traditional immigration policy towards permanent residents into a vast program of temporary foreign workers. Between 2002 and 2008, temporary foreign workers present in Canada rose by 148% from 101,259 to 251,235. So from the graph, which is actually from Statistics Canada, you have there at the top the reason for admission as workers is actually rising. Okay. When Stephen Harper became Prime Minister in 2006, there were 255,440 temporary foreign workers in Canada. By 2010, last year, or two years ago, rather, this dramatically increased to 432,682. From 2006 to 2010, temporary foreign workers in Canada ballooned by nearly 70% in, yeah, in the country. Under the Conservative Party, immigration requirements have been tightened but expanded the Temporary Foreign Workers Program. According to the Auditor General, I think you know her, Sheila Fraser, the rapid increase in the use of temporary foreign workers, according to the report, has little evidence that this shift is part of any well-defined strategy to best meet the needs of the Canadian labor market. The Harper government has set a target of the Federal Skilled Workers Program for 2012 at 61,000 and the provincial slash Quebec nominees to 78,000. 
The increase is most profound in Alberta. Yay. <laughs> Where temporary foreign workers grew by 338% between 2004 and 2008, or from 13,167 to 57,707, including a 55% increase from 2007-2008. In contrast, permanent residents in Alberta during the same period grew by 47% from 16,475 to 24,195. So this is the latest I, I, I was able to get from CIC in 2011. You have here the total entries of temporary foreign workers in Alberta, and you have a distribution. I guess they say that outside of Calgary and Edmonton would be rural. <laughs> and the other Alberta here is actually going into rural places okay, in Alberta. According to the Alberta Federation of Labor, temporary foreign work arrivals in 2009 remain the same as in 2007 despite the economic recession. A huge proportion of temporary foreign workers flows to rural Alberta with less social infrastructure to welcome diverse newcomers. And temporary foreign workers in Alberta comprise nearly 2% of the population, which is comparatively high among all provinces. Now, there are many types of categories included in the label foreign worker, including students, humanitarian visas, and others. So if you look into the, I think, the diverse programs, you'll find that there'll be maybe over 60 programs. So I also kind of confused of where to follow which one. Sometimes this one was canceled, replaced by another. But a simple approach is to focus on two major categories. Okay, what are these? One, temporary visas granted under the international trade agreements such as NAFTA. And number two, workers with labor market opinion, LMO. So workers with LMO, falls under different types of temporary migrant workers programs under which an employer apply for an LMO before they can hire a foreign worker or get a pre-approval to hire large numbers of workers. Proportion of workers who in entered under the international agreement has declined over the years whereas the temporary labor or temporary migrant workers with LMOs have increased from 70% in 2000 to 86% in 2009. The classic and flagship model of temporary labor programs in Canada are the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program and the Live-In Caregiver Program. Since 1996, the Citizen Agricultural Workers Program and the Live-In Caregiver Program since 1992, the LCP is the precursor of the Foreign Domestic Movement Program in the 1980s. The Citizen Agricultural Workers Program is participated mostly by the Caribbean countries of Jamaica, Trinidad, Tobago, Barbados, Grenada, Antigua, St. Lucia, and the majority from Mexico. Mexican and Caribbean workers admitted under the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program are still imposed by the human, are, 
uh, HRSDC's annual validation process of standard work contracts that integrate restrictions of human rights and freedoms, the obligation to reside on the employer's premises in Canada. Their work permits are also restricted to a single employer. At the same time, they are also forbidden to ask for a change of status in Canada but also forced to leave in Canada at least one month every year. In 2006, 20,829 seasonal agricultural worker programs were in possession of a valid work permit compared to 16,668 in 2000. By 2008, there were 30,000 agricultural workers who worked seasonally for periods of six to eight months a year and then returned to their home countries, come back again for the next cycle. The administration of the Agricultural Workers Program was privatized in 1987. The control was given to the Foreign Agricultural Resource Management Services, a nonprofit organization controlled by the, and funded by Canadian growers. The employer demand country supply approach replaced the quota system. Mexican agricultural workers must submit a sealed evaluation completed by their employer in Canada to Mexico's Ministry of Labor, a system which favors the employers and not the workers who could be weeded out from the next seasonal cycle if they are considered unfit or has shown tendency to advocate for their rights. Repatriation allows employers to send back injured or sick workers at any time without appeal, including workers who refuse to work in unsafe conditions. The live-in caregiver program is the de facto national care program for children, seniors, infirm, physically challenged. And over 95% of live-in caregivers in Canada came from the Philippines, my country. Live-in caregivers provide essential work in private homes, often in vulnerable positions as the site of work is also the site of residence. Food and lodging are also deducted from their wages, even if they do not eat even if they usually eat bread as their regular main course or inhibited from cooking rice because the smell of the rice counteracts febreze. <laughs> After completing 24 months of live-in work, live-in caregivers can apply for permanent residency. Work permits issued to them are restricted to a single employer and forbidden to ask for a change of status as well during the first two years of their immigration process. As the labor market opinion is issued to one employer, a live-in caregiver wanting to change employment faces difficulty in looking for another employer. The issuance of an LMO usually takes four to six months, and during this time, the caregiver is potentially homeless, probably living a transient life, hopping from one friend to another if they are lucky to find one. Generally, the harsh realities of having no legal status to seek employment on their own and the long waiting period for a new work permit often compels the living caregiver to endure abuse, sleep in troubles, and pray for a faster turnover of the calendar, you know, if you could actually just switch the clock, okay? It takes an average of six years before a living caregiver can successfully reunite 
with her family in Canada, and the long separation impact family relationships upon reunification. As of December 1, 2006, there were 21,489 workers in Canada in possession of a living caregiver permit. The LCP considered as a cheap alternative to regular daycare, especially involving multiple children by one living caregiver. So you have here the figures for the transition. Okay. From the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Program and the Live-In Caregiver Program, as models of sourcing migrant workers, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program in Canada has been expanded to virtually all sectors of the economy since 2002. Labor demands for oil and gas construction prompted the federal government to introduce the pilot project for hiring foreign workers in occupations that require lower levels of formal training in 2002. This means a high school diploma and a two-year occupation-specific training. The so-called low-skill pilot project extended the 12-month permit to 24 months in 2007 an accelerated process exists for qualified employers in need of workers for certain, quote, occupations under pressure. That's not only high blood, but also occupation under pressure. In Alberta and BC, Service Canada could process completed applications for LMO from these employers within five business days. In 2008, 21 new occupations were added to the expedited labor market opinion uh, pilot project, including low-skill pos uh, positions in construction, hospitality, food, and service <coughs> industries. And I think I gave you, for each table, a sample copy of the recent list of compulsory optional certification trades. <coughs> So I, um, I'm not so sure if you're able to get all of that, but uh, just a run through. You have on demand carpenters, civil engineers, construction laborers, delivery drivers, uh, iron workers, roofers. So it, I leave it up to you to consider the under pressure in Alberta. Employers in Alberta wishing to hire foreign workers for occupations that appear under pressure will only be required to conduct minimum advertising efforts rather than the more comprehensive recruitment of two to three weeks normally required for the other jobs. Employers in Alberta are only required to advertise on the Government of Canada's National Job Bank for a minimum of seven calendar days or demonstrate that they have established ongoing recruitment efforts, etc., via job sites, advertising, la la la. For low-skilled positions considered skill level C or D under the national classification system, employers need to advertise on the job bank and demonstrate ongoing recruitment. Alberta accounted for 64% of LMOs issued under this system. So Alberta is really high on the agenda for temporary foreign workers program. And indeed, Alberta are serviced by temporary foreign workers as we drink, you know, Tim Hortons for coffee in the morning, grab a healthy pound of lunch at Subway, or leave grandma or the kids with a living caregiver, or you sleep in a freshly cleaned hotel at the room at the Ramada, and many more. 
in the busy SkyTrain rapid transit extension between downtown Vancouver and the airport for the 2010 Winter Olympics, temporary foreign workers were paid $5 per hour, despite the ongoing rate of $22 to $29 per hour plus benefits. I contest the branding of temporary foreign workers as low-skilled. In general, immigrants in Canada are highly educated compared to the rest of the population. Temporary foreign workers from the Philippines, for example, are mostly university graduates or higher. This is from Statistics Canada Census, and you'll notice that permanent residents, non-permanent residents with bachelor degrees have a higher component for non-permanent residents. Live-in caregivers have often have, often have nursing degrees. They are de-skilled by the policy which constructs them as low-skilled. The policy defines how they are treated in Canada. In effect, Canadians have the luxury of being served coffee at Tim Hortons by a former manager or supervisor in the Philippines. Usually that's been served by a grade nine student. The Living Caregiver Program has a unique proviso which automatically grants them right to apply for permanent residency. The Federal Skilled Workers Program and the Canadian Experience Class are exclusive for skilled temporary foreign workers. The Canadian Experience Class was implemented in September 2008 as an immigration category for skilled temporary foreign workers and international students aspiring to become permanent residents. As of November 2008, applicants in the skilled worker class are limited to three categories. First, persons identified in the ministerial instructions with evidence of one year continuous full-time experience in that occupation in the last five, in the last 10 years. Second, persons with job offer from a Canadian employer, and the third, students or workers who have lived in Canada for at least 12 months immediately before submitting their application. Applications are assessed on six factors, education, language, ability, work experience, age, arrangements for employment, and adaptability. The provincial nominee program applies to both skilled and low-skilled temporary foreign workers. For most low-skilled workers, the only viable option for permanent residency is the provincial nominee program. If family members of foreign workers are included, it is estimated that between 40 to 55% of temporary foreign workers were in lower-skilled occupations. All these paths have caveats to securing permanent residency. The provincial nominee programs are employer-driven, and if the worker is laid off at any time prior to attaining permanent residency, the application may be canceled. In Alberta, temporary foreign workers wait for two to three years before obtaining permanent residency, and if they become unemployed, a few months before residency is granted, they have to start the process again with a new employer, if they can find a new employer, okay? In between, where they go? In British Columbia, if the nominee fails to obtain employment in the occupation that's eligible under the program within four weeks, the nomination will be canceled. 
So you have different programs for different provinces. Only in Manitoba are temporary foreign workers called transitional workers. They don't call them temporary foreign workers. They call them transitional workers for their distinct program as a mechanism to attract immigrants where all temporary foreign workers in Manitoba are eligible for permanent residency. It's a sweet kind of deal for Manitoba. The government of Canada rec uh, recently announced on March 29 a plan to reduce the backlog of federal skilled worker applications by returning all applications and government fees submitted prior to February 27, 2008. Approximately 160,000 federal skilled worker applications submitted after February 28, 2008 will remain in queue for processing. The recent budget cuts at the, re the recent budget sets $130 million refund for skilled workers who applied before 2008, and they could reapply under the new criteria. The government, according to the um, announcement, intends to align foreign recruitment with labor market demands by hiring locally first before accessing the temporary foreign workers program, although the specific measures of how are they going to monitor and regulate particular hiring recruitment for each particular business remains to be seen, okay? Most of that are actually being done in the process. I argue that temporary foreign worker program leads to the path of illegality where lower skilled migrant workers ordered to return home at the expiration of their contract will possibly seek alternative routes to remain in Canada. The revolving door of disposable labor allows them to reapply entry to Canada after six years with their own resources invested in coming to Canada, even becoming victims of loan sharks. I leave it up to you to draw your conclusion whether they will like to go home. At the back of a temporary foreign worker lies the hope of entire families, even community, to make it overseas. Their dreams are no better than yours to secure a better future for their children and their families. They're, though they may be temporary foreign worker, they have the same aspirations as we do, okay? How we treat them remains the same. Simply for uh, the suite of labor, okay? What are the other implications for this? Implications to the prevalent use of disposable international migrant labor forcing Canada to sustain the racialization of labor in Canada, where people of certain ethnicity occupy a particular niche in the service economy, Filipinos as caregivers, Chinese as construction workers, East Indians as janitors, as cleaners, Eastern Europeans as truck drivers, and whatnot. Temporary foreign worker programs are problem problematic. It created a hierarchy of temporary foreign workers who have certain rights and benefits compared to others. According to Nandita Sharma in her book, these programs created a new category of non-citizens because settlement and integration is out of reach for most of these workers. Alberta's occupation under pressure okay, list contains a large number of occupations essential to its economic success. Professionals and trade persons on the under pressure list can apply for work visas and permanent residence if they are on the list and meet other qualifications. These applicants will also benefit from priority processing. For example, 
individuals working in the USA and holding an H-1 visa whose professional trade is under pressure in Alberta may apply for permanent residence under the Strategic Recruitment Stream or U.S. Visa Holder category and receive priority processing. They may apply directly to the Alberta Provincial Nominee Program without waiting for their employer's nomination. So I think you could have go through with that other implications. These are the temporary foreign workers present as of December 2010. Four top source countries of temporary foreign workers <clears throat> come from USA, Germany, France, and Australia. The six countries are from developing states. So it also creates a bracket. These numerous programs implemented in violation of Article 15 of the Canadian Charter of Rights, which protect the right of every individual to equal protection of the law without discrimination based on national origin. Temporary foreign workers recruited from Europe and the rich countries would have actually access to a CIC open permit, while workers from the Global South, mostly non-white uh, foreign populations, are imposed with stricter uh, visa requirements. Okay. And uh, given the human and social cost of this discrimination in matters of recognition of fundamental rights and freedoms, this, is, this cannot be so in a country called uh, democratic like Canada. Okay, a recent study shown that foreign workers in lower skilled occupations have little access to employment related rights, family reunification, and uh, permanent residence. Okay. Based on age, we also have a migrant labor force who face vulnerability, particularly when uh, the employer is also the landlord, and uh, you have a created scenario where you put all strangers in one roof, and the consequences of that kind of arrangement have yet to be studied. Okay. Five programs for temporary foreign workers in Canada are in, in violation of the UN Convention Against Slavery. The ratification of the United Nations Supplementary Convention on the Abolition of Slavery, the slave trade and institutions and practices akin to slavery, Canada agreed to take all practicable and necessary measures to bring about progressively as soon as possible the abandonment of institutions and practices similar to slavery. In Canada, on the basis of the national origin and gender, some temporary foreign workers in low-skilled occupations may be bound by law to live and work on a property of another person, even if they are not free to change their status. So they, these workers qualify as persons under surveil status, persons under a human condition equivalent in one experienced by slaves. So I'll give you that. In Canada, the rise of conservative politics and the use of immigration in the security discourse have continued to make the Canadian public blind to the fundamental changes in immigration policy. There is no public debate conducted on this issue and is simply couched into the budget. Okay. Uh, I have uh, no more. I have one minute. Okay. The other one is on a structural violence I showed about the policy subscribing harm to the individuals. And uh, I would argue that temporary foreign workers are an Im Im important part of the Canadian economy. And our lives, our local lives, intersect with global lives. And if they possess the skill and they pay EI and contribute to the economy, make Canada competitive to the global market, why can't we grant them full-fledged status upon entry? Okay. 
and we reward them by squeezing their physical strength, emotional health, and well-being. And according to the Citizens for Public Justice, Canada must acknowledge temporary foreign workers as people with inherent value and not merely as economic commodities. Okay? The, rather than seeing the divide between us and them, we can bridge the gap by treating temporary foreign workers and immigrants in general, including refugees, with equal value, granting with human rights and respect. Thank you.